This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It is Monday, February 7th. Two-man crew today, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley for Irish Illustrated Insider. And Tim, uh, this is a this is a weekly exercise on our part. Uh, add a coach, take a coach away. Add a coach, add another coach, take a coach away. They didn't lose anybody this time. Uh, in fact, they have added Jared Parker, the tight ends coach coming from West Virginia. Since last week, since last week at this time, Dylan McCullough, Notre Dame's new running backs coach, had not been announced by Notre Dame. So in seven days, he's been announced. He has flirted with the NFL and has decided to stay with Notre Dame. And so the latest count. And then, of course, Tommy Reese, Notre Dame's offensive coordinator, who is in demand from uh, college and pro. He won't be going to the Miami Hurricanes because Josh Gaddis from Michigan will be the new offensive coordinator down there. What do you make of, of everything that's happening here? Yeah, I think it's a positive that McCullough was flirted with by the NFL, right? I mean, it's hard not to respond in kind if the NFL flirts with you. That's, that's, that is the goal of 95% of college coaches is to become an NFL coach as well, because that's the highest level, especially a young coach. Um, Tommy Reese, if Tommy Reese is, look, if, if Tommy Reese is offered the Rams offensive coordinator position, let's just get into this right here. And he takes it, more power to Tommy Reese. That is an incredible job. It is the absolute peak of offensive coordinating right now. And Sean McVay gets to call the place for you. So you're in business. But and, and you have Cooper Cup for crying out loud. But I if Tommy Reese would have gone to Miami, that would have that would have signified something to me. And he he did not. I mean, if Tommy Reese goes anywhere but Alabama, I guess, as an offensive coordinator in college, you gotta shake your head a little to wonder what the development would have been the last month. But we're just speculating that. He has not. It is great that McCullough is coming. Is he coming back to Notre Dame? Kind of coming back to Notre Dame. <laughs> he, he will start at Notre Dame. And uh, I'm excited to see the new offensive rooms, all, all the new offensive position coaches under Tommy Reese. It'll be completely different. And the name Jared Parker coming out of uh, West Virginia kind of caught us by surprise until the very end when I think Tom Loy reported that there was a good chance that they would end up getting him. And his, uh, his career path overlaps. Marcus Freeman's at, a, at a, a couple different places or almost at a couple different places. He was, I know some of our subscribers brought it up that he was uh, involved in a DUI a few years ago. That's a very unfortunate situation. I don't think um, making that a, a career killer is, is necessarily, the, you right. know, how you handle these kind of things, but it's, um, you know, it's a spot on his record. I know a few people pointed it out, but um as it relates to Tommy Reese, do you, I mean, I, the pinnacle is the NFL, both in terms of pay and not having to recruit and do all the, yes. all the and stuff I think that for you Tommy have to Reese, do. A, 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 uh, an offensive mind that's a lifer in football, whose father was a lifer in the NFL too, that it's just, it's pretty obvious. I mean, that's right. No doubt. But you would imagine that he would want to go into a situation where he was the play caller. I mean, there's nobody that's going to tamper with his offense you know, now, including Marcus Freeman. And so you would think that he would want full responsibility. I don't know if I've said this on a podcast, but I had somebody that's very close to the situation that said to me um, that, you know, this notion that let's see Tommy Reese coordinate and call plays without Brian Kelly looking over his shoulder. I had it very clearly detailed to me that Brian Kelly did not dictate what he was doing, what his play calling was during the game. Now, you formulate, you formulate a game plan during the week, right? And there are certain do's and don't don'ts going into the game. And so, from that standpoint, I'm sure Brian Kelly had his fingerprints on it. But 
he was not Tommy Reese was not prevented from from calling the game that he wanted to call last year. Maybe a little bit more in the first year. I don't know how much that changed from year one to year two. But Tommy Reese's offense is Tommy Reese's offense. It was last year, and it will be moving forward, provided that he stays at, at Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I'm intrigued to watch Reese uh, the offense this season because it's going to be different than 2020 and different than 21. Like Chris Tyree's best weapon is his speed and getting him the ball in space with his speed is his best asset. He is not Kyron Williams. You know, Logan Diggs isn't Kyron Williams, but Logan Diggs is going to be a fun running back to watch in this offense. I don't, you're not going back to 2020 clearly, but you're not throwing 70 times either. Now that you have, you think an offensive line that can block for you and, uh, and will grow and become a real Notre Dame offensive line. It's, I'm, I've been excited to watch Tommy Reese. Um, I think things will be a little different because he's a offensive coordinator. I really like Reese. So when I, when I start talking about, I can't believe he go to the Rams. I want to point out, I just think that that is a massive leap from being Notre Dame's offensive coordinator for two years to the Los Angeles Rams that are in the Super Bowl. I mean, He's a 29-year-old offensive coordinator, and Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup and everybody else there is supposed to believe everything he says. It's just easier. It's an easier sure. thing for me to see him at Notre Dame, but yeah. fair or not. I think it's going to be intriguing to watch what he does differently with this offense, and Tyler Buckner is the guy that obviously can make a lot of changes for the offense. Yeah, and let me clarify. You know, I, I think Tommy Reese, just by and large, at like at the end of first halves, I think he'll be more aggressive than maybe yeah, yeah. Brian Kelly. But – we saw an opportunity in the Fiesta Bowl to be more aggressive at the end of the first half, and and, and he wasn't. So he might, and I think he's a guy that learns from that. Like I think he's probably, like, you know, I probably could have gotten a field goal out of that. We right. I shouldn't trust Jack Cohn because you can trust Jack Cohn in that situation. Yeah, well, yeah, I think that you can. I mean, yeah. especially the way he protected the football over the last, you know, three quarters or two thirds of the season. Uh, and speaking of Jack Cohn, <clears throat> I want to mention this. I mean, he had he had a good week at the all-star preparation and was named um, the winner of the Pat Tillman award, which I don't, which surprises absolutely nobody in Notre Dame's camp that he would because his leadership skills as a guy that transferred in from, from Wisconsin um, and it very understated leadership skills to be sure, because he's not a real vocal guy. Yeah. Just, I'm just very happy for him. I, I, a lot of people have said, and especially now after this, after all the all the scouts and everybody had an opportunity to see him, he will be drafted. He's not going to go right. undrafted. There, there aren't enough quality, accurate throwing quarterbacks in the draft for you to go seven rounds without being picked when you're as good and as accurate as Jack Cohn is. I understand the lack of mobility. That's always going to be an issue with him. Uh, but he, I, he will be drafted. And again, nobody's surprised at him stepping forward as a leader among leaders. Yeah, and just it's we're not going to talk a, a ton about Cone going forward because he was at Notre Dame for one year. But what a humble leader and player to bring into the program. You got to remember he was he was benched twice by Brian Kelly, right? He wasn't just pulled for for Tyler Buckner's running ability. He was benched twice. That's yeah. Well, as he should. I mean, I, he no, probably no, looked, exactly. He, probably, but he didn't pout at all. Think of guys no. that get benched in that position. It's just well because yeah, he has because right. he has he has an abundance of self awareness. Exactly. And he understands when his shortcomings show themselves. And, and you know what? The poor guy. Uh, you know, his shortcomings were also present because the offensive line stunk for a while. I mean, if he had Ian Book's offensive line, we wouldn't have seen those those shortcomings. So I'm I'm a Jack Cone the person fan, and that's now that you know, I we it's our job to grade him. 
as a football player and he was not a guy that could get out of pressure and uh he had a better line he wouldn't have had so much pressure he would have had even better numbers at Notre Dame right uh two more things before we wrap up segment one number one um as we were about to start recording George Takis uh has entered the uh the transfer portal and as you said O'Malley where do you think he'll end up uh yeah I would (laughs) think he will find an opening at Boston College and that's that's a good idea that's kind of what the portal's for he's a graduate this isn't this isn't the Wild West, as we talked about sometimes, where guys can leave and go anywhere they want as freshmen. This is a Notre Dame graduate whose position coach has a bigger job now somewhere else, and he can start. Or be a, so, a 1B if he's not a sure. – he is not a 1B at Notre Dame, so he could be a 1B. No, and this will accelerate the process with the younger tight ends. Right. And that's okay because they flashed early, and you like the guys that are coming in, especially if Eli Raritan recovers – fairly quickly from his ACL, which it sounds like he is. Are you aware of that? Where did we? Yeah, but I think we, the last we he's recovering from it, but the last we heard is the, he's still, it, that's still like late summer where you're correct. No, yeah. correct. Yeah. The, the plan um, is still to probably sit out or at least as the season starts, you probably won't want him on the field. Right. It's tough. Kate. It's a tough situation for that room because Kane Barong also is going to, pretty much missed spring and he could have used spring to make an impact. So he was an October 2nd ACL, right? And October 9th ACL against Virginia tech. Um, just when he was starting to get some playing time too. I mean, he mm-hmm. was in that game. I know mayor was out, but he was, he and Mitchell Evans were in that game for real. Um, so he is, uh, that, that hurts his spring. So a lot of work for Holden stays and Mitchell Evans, huh? Cause as we know, uh, Michael Mayer is gonna be in bubble wrap. <laughs> Yeah, the tight the tight end situation the tight end room is is uh, not going to see a ton of action on, on the field uh, this spring. I want to talk about uh, basketball, but we, we're going to insert a since it's just uh, uh, O'Malley and myself talking Nordian basketball. We'll insert that in the middle of our questions in uh, segment two coming up. Burning up the boards. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a double question, one from MMB4. Any early rumblings about workouts? I know it's early, but anyone standing out from what you're hearing? And then a question from Irish for always. What did you glean from the early entry freshman interviews from last Friday? I found a new starting guard very soon, Tim. Very <laughs> soon. <laughs> At least from the interview process, because it's hard for formerly Billy, now Bill Shrouth, because he's already a veteran uh, in my eyes. Is it? No, I'm, I'm exaggerating here, but Billy Shrouth was uh, an impressive early enrollee. I guess he's an early enrollee freshman, uh, redshirt sophomore to talk to there. He's a mature kid. Uh, he gets football. And there's no better answer ever than what he said to you when you asked him about playing left tackle, Tim Priester. Go ahead and insert that. Well, I, I, I was talking because I can remember I even told him that Quentin Nelson was upset when he came yeah. in and he wasn't, you know, he was, he was listed as a tackle and they wanted to move him um, to guard. And I asked him, you know, most guys want to come in as a left tackle. And he said, you know, because the money's in it. And he said, it, it ain't about that. It's about hitting people. And, like, and then you walked away and said, my work right. here is done. My like, you know, everybody wanted to say, yes, <laughs> uh, it was, it was just a really, 
it was it was an impressive response and the whole interview was impressive he was impressive physically i thought he was the most impressive of the 10 guys that came in we didn't get all 12 we had 10 (laughs) he was the most impressive physically and then he he won the he won the interview game as well Sneed won the interview game as well. I'd say Tui Halamaka was the second most impressive physically. He had some mm-hmm. stature to him as a uh, as a high school kid, is what he's there. That's yeah, that's and I, and and you know to answer like the first question, I mean some of the guys that are standing out, Aiden Gobira, just his length and his you know his his speed. Jaden Mickey is a guy that that you talked to that I think that was a that turned out to be a a, a quality, interesting interview as well. Yeah. He's an intriguing kid. Um, he's, it, it was pretty funny. He said, you know, the knock on me, he, he's a very intelligent kid. He's a math nerd, self-described math nerd. And he was talking to journalists, which we joked about, because he must know about more about calculus than any of the six writers that were sitting there talking to him. But uh, he said the knock on him was his speed. He's like, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I've always been the fastest guy. And I think I still am the fastest guy. And if you talk to Josh Lug, he said Mickey's name was at the top of those lists. I'm not sure what right. the list was. I asked him to clarify. He said, nah, maybe it's the 10 yards, which that means he's super quick. <laughs> because, yeah. Yeah. Mickey's a really <clears throat> intriguing um, prospect. He corners are a little small by nature when they're freshmen. He did seem small to me. I did not see him come in and think to myself, oh, that guy's length is ready to go. I just, I thought he was a good guy to talk to. And I think he'll grow into a good player. I, I love the interview with Jalen Sneed. He was very comfortable in, in, in handling everything. He is not, he, and this is no surprise. We knew this. I mean, I think when right. when recruiting ended, he was listed at one ninety eight. He is he is not a he's not a big frame kid. Yeah, he didn't show up two twenty. <laughs> no, and that's and that, and that's fine. Uh, but I think people need to recognize out of the gate that maybe you know, like pure physical. We know he's very physical, but yeah. just in terms of body size and frame and weight, he's not there as we speak right now. No, I think it's a unique situation, though, because you lose Pryor and Paul and you lose Moala and you keep Kaiser. I mean, <clears throat> if Kaiser is the base rover and probably in a package as well because of his ability to play different roles. You find a package for a guy like Snead, though, as he said, he thinks he's the fastest linebacker. I think that's true. It might be by default that he's the fastest linebacker, but I think he's already known he's fastest linebacker. I like that he changed his own nickname to Nuke. That's pretty fun. <laughs> in terms of how he lights people up when he hits them. Um, But yeah, look, he, I know what you're saying. And I got the exact same impression, like pump the brakes a little on him because he was my number one guy in the class. We do that for the future, of course, not for year one, but it's, he could step into a nice role because you have a starting rover. You could find a package for a guy like Steve, you know, it's, he doesn't have to have 50 snaps. No, very true. Very true. Snaps would be pretty cool for a guy. Situational, situationally, you obviously can use a guy like that, by the way. Uh, for the record, Pete Sampson couldn't join us today, but he wanted to make sure that we said that he said he thinks that Billy Shrouth will be an All-American. I mean, every, yes. I think everybody, I mean, he was just impressive. As members of the media, we probably overplay how well a guy handles a, an interview. And it's not all based upon that. It's how he, it's how he looked physically in addition like to just. He looked like a redshirt junior. He looked like he's in his third year. In absolutely. The yeah. Absolutely. I mean. With the, Quentin, I mean, Quentin Nelson had that look, but Quentin Nelson wasn't as confident of a, now this is interviewing, not confident football player. I'm sure he was. He was not the confident interview that Billy Shrout is. Remember how nervous Quentin Nelson and Alex Bars were? Oh, yeah. yeah. One year absolutely. later, they're grown men, but this guy already seemed like he was. And No, absolutely. I mean, not and, overplay it too much. He's got, yeah. he's got to go through foot surgery. He's had a foot surgery. So yeah. And, and yeah. 
And and I I had asked him about you know a Wisconsin guy leaving Wisconsin and he just he said all the right things about Notre Dame, you know spiritually academically football wise, uh, and then getting Harry Heastand to come <laughs> as part of the package as well knowing knowing full well from talking to guys that that uh, you know he was he was the real deal he was just you know I asked him about leaving Wisconsin and he said you know no up until now nobody. Nobody has left. No top-rated offensive lineman has has left Wisconsin. And then he said, "But I'm not just anybody." Yeah, I mean, and it was, it was just kind of it was just it was just matter of fact and kind of under his breath. And as I transcribed it, I kind of started to talk over him. But but you can hear him say, "But I'm not just anybody." And and it, and it it wasn't said in a in a obnoxious affected way. It was just matter of fact. He knows he's a great football player. And he anticipates being a great football player in Notre Dame. You know who he reminds me of? <coughs> when Pete listens to this, he's going to agree because we feel the same way about this guy. Michael Mayer. Michael Mayer's confidence when he talks about himself is not at all fabricated. It is not off-putting. None of that. Michael Mayer is a guy that was as a sophomore before this season. He almost had the my supporting cast to him feel about like the other tight ends where he's a, he's technically only played as a freshman. Billy Strouth is going to have that next year when he starts for Notre Dame. Not not 2022, 2023 when he starts for Notre Dame. It's going to be like, yeah, no, everybody's coming along great because I've already come along. And, Tim, the other best thing he said was you asked him about, to clarify his surgery, it's like, yeah, it's foot. You know, it's like, I don't know, I had to bring two bones together. It's not a yeah, big deal. Yeah, there's a space in there, and they had to connect it. <laughs> they had to connect it. And so you played with it? Yeah, it didn't really hurt. It's not a big deal. Yeah. It's just like, okay, well, he's ready to go. I tell you, and it's this reminds me of uh, Brandon Joseph because when when I interviewed him, and he and he's saying these things, I'm thinking to myself, wow, in print, that's going to kind of sound like <clears throat> he's a little obnoxious, yeah, and and uh, real cocky, but but it didn't come off that way at all. And Shroud was exactly the same way for whatever yeah, that's. We're worth. not going to put people on blast. <laughs> There's plenty of people that come off cocky, and when I'm listening to them tell me about how good they are, how good they can be, I think to myself. I got to move on to the next interview because this is false, but I did not feel that way. Yeah. Like that. Well, it's yeah, like Joseph said, you know, I brought up Kyle Hamilton. He said, yeah, me and him have been two of the best safeties in the country. You know, he just put himself in with, with Kyle Hamilton and it just seemed very natural in him doing that. So, you know, kudos to those guys when you can, when you can say it with confidence and not come off sounding obnoxious about it. Next from ND by 10, let's assume Al Golden rounds out the staff and everyone else stays put. How would you grade Marcus Freeman's first staff and how would you rank it against recent Notre Dame staffs? <sighs> Ranking staff is hard, but I'm really intrigued by the, the new offensive. The upgrade in recruiting, I guess, isn't necessarily felt in year one. Upgrade in offensive line can be felt in year one, though. I guess to be fair, because good players were recruited before he got here. But <laughs> to be fair to uh, Harry Heastan's predecessor. Harry Heaston did not inherit a uh, empty cupboard the second time around. No, definitely not. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, I'm not going to rate, I'm just going to talk about the guys. I, I, yeah. I think that Harry, he stands a great offensive line coach. I'm not the first one to say that. So I'm not breaking any new ground there. Um, I I'm, I'm very intrigued. I'm probably intrigued the most by Chancey Stuckey because I think that he's an extremely unique individual. <laughs> and I think <clears throat> that, so much emphasis has been placed on his background or his, his coaching experience. 
and you talk to the people that know him and then you hear him speak, although we haven't had a one, we haven't had an opportunity to interview him, uh, our media yet, but he's an extremely bright individual that knows how to communicate and really draws players. And then the, the parents of players in, they believe in him. So I'm intrigued by him. I'm a little, I don't know what to, I don't know what to think about Jared Parker. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, I, 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 I just don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it would be speaking out of turn to say that, yeah, this is the higher, this is the way to go instead of Brewster or instead of somebody else, or that it's better than McNulty, because I, I, I'd pretty, be pretty comfortable with McNulty in that spot, right? I mean, you do have to look at who was who left. He went for yeah. a better position. He went right. for an offensive coordinator position. It's not like we're speaking out of turn here, but. Right, exactly. I, I, if you would say, would you like to have McNulty back? I'd like to have McNulty back. Where I think as much as I respect Lance Taylor and thought he did a great job, I'm kind of intrigued to have McCullough there, and, and I'm intrigued to have Stucky there. Is that fairest way to say it? No, I, I agree. In the same way without Washington, I, the 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 things yeah. that people have said that that know him intimately, uh, as as far as his ability to communicate, what a quality person he is, and I mean, we, I think we all know that Brian Mason's one of the best special teams coaches in the country. Yeah, and I I, I think Polian was um, wrongly probably panned by Notre Dame fans just because he'd see a fair catch and he'd say, well, he's not a good special teams coach. I think he did a pretty good job, but I, I do think it's still, I still think it can be an upgrade though. I think that's a, yet another potential upgrade, <laughs> I, but I, I'm not, I don't want to pile on just because. No, the, they, hey, the last couple of years. Sometimes I thought he, I thought he did his due diligence at every aspect of the special teams work, whether it worked out well or not. Yeah. The problem with the special teams coach is he's responsible for so many I mean, punt return, kick return, coverage, punt coverage, you're responsible. And then like, if a, if a kicker goes through a a bad streak, you're going to blame that on the special teams coach. I mean, that's, That's I mean, when Jonathan Doerr is the fourth best kicker, fourth to fifth best kicker in Mm -hmm. history, but you remember his misses, Jonathan Doerr's fault. Is it your fault? Is it Polian's fault? Jay Bramblett had an ill time, bad game, but he was awesome. Most of the time. I don't know how much did Polian have to do with it? How much could Polian coach a punter to be good? You gotta be a good punter. Like there's, I just, this is too much on polling already. Interested to see the new special teams, too. <laughs> we can, we can put the polling air to bed right there. A <laughs> uh, question from Dashing Domer. This is the highest turnover of Notre Dame assistant coaches that I can rem- remember, both what has actually happened and what is being rumored to be a possibility. What do you attribute that to the most? <clears throat> There's many things. Um, I mean, most of the, like Lance Taylor promotion. John McNulty, promotion. Dell Alexander, we were asked the question if he would be there and Jeff Quinn in September, and we said no. I mean, those were – they had to move on from both Jeff Quinn and Dell Alexander. They didn't do a terrible job. They did some things well and some things not well. I think Dell Alexander's seniors and graduate students ended up being really good players by going through his program. But I, don't, I think it's fair to consider he couldn't didn't get guys on the field to help in some capacity right away. Like Maybe that's part of his style, though. Maybe it's he wants to have a complete player on the field they have other options Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey got in there because Notre Dame didn't have anybody else let's be fair as good as Lorenzo Styles was Joe Wilkins was playing over him it's you, you should have got Lorenzo Styles to be a, a prime player from the jump yeah he's not good yeah, yeah. I mean Quinn that's it's, it's not a comparison in terms of the offensive line situation. right and, and, and look going into this okay you have 10 assistant coaches so you knew you were going to have to replace four Freeman was going to have to replace himself they, we knew Alexander. <laughs> the one we, thing that hasn't happened yet, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. 
Alexander and Quinn, as you said, we we said that that was going to happen. Polian, we knew was either not going to stay or right. that was, Marcus was Freeman going was going to hire his own going guy. Up. So there were there were four openings to begin with. Taylor gets the OC job. Uh, McNulty gets the OC job. Elson's a surprise. That's a, just a flat. Elson surprise. is a surprise, but he he wasn't going to be named defensive coordinator, and he just finally said, "Okay, I'm I'm going to." I'm going to end this after a 12 year run here. So, I mean, I don't know that it's that unusual. Mario Cristobal just completed his coordinator offensive and defensive coordinators yesterday or over the weekend or prior to the weekend. So I don't, when we talk about yeah, like timetables and stuff, <laughs> do we, well, like when we talk about timetables, do we actually monitor each one of the other programs and how, how fast they're doing it? Of course not. My think my guess is Dashing Domer recalls plenty of years where there was zero or one under Brian Kelly, and it would be sure. and it would be championed by Kelly to say the the continuity of the staff is great. It's one of the strengths of the staff. But remember, the other big change was sixteen to seventeen, and he brought in better coaches, and they had a better team, and they had a better strength and conditioning yeah. program, and he was a better head coach because of it. There, there are to answer the question to what do you attribute this the most to? It's there a lot of things. There are just so many moving parts. I that you did the guys you didn't want, the guys that you wanted to bring back, the guys that got the late offers. That's the world that we live in now. Mostly success, though, right? Elston was coveted. Taylor, better job. McNulty, better job. Freeman, better job. Kelly Re- was coveted. Um, and, and Reese is and Reese is coveted, and Reese McCullough is coveted. Is, is coveted. Yeah, it's yeah. It, so I think so, most of it is that, and then there's a couple firings, but those guys did did pretty well too. Notre Dame yeah. is probably just be at a higher level you want it at those positions. Wall Street Mike 57. I was wondering if in or in order to keep Dalen McCullough, Freeman may have talked to him about possibly being an offensive coordinator and waiting, knowing that Tommy Reese may be gone soon. I don't think in waiting, but I mean you could you could definitely throw a dangle of carrot out there that look, Tommy Reese is a talented guy that's going to be going somewhere someday. He's upward upwardly mobile coach. Um could have brought it up. I think Dale McCullough probably realized. Uh, I wrote about this before he decided to come back. There's a good chance if you take a professional coaching job with a losing franchise, you're looking for another job in two years. He yeah. can get a better job because of what he can do with Notre Dame's running backs and the success Notre Dame should have over the next two years. So right. I think probably just some foresight on his part, too. I don't think, you know, Tommy Reese isn't long for Notre Dame. I don't yeah. think there's any, there, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And, you know, that, that'll make a lot of people happy because um, despite the NFL chasing him and despite Nick Saban being on the verge of interviewing him when he was named offensive coordinator, um, a lot of people don't think he's very good. The, the, the higher ups within college and pro football do. And so he won't be around. He won't be around very long. I, I, yeah. We had a we had so many questions this week about Tommy Reese. Yeah, um, I get it though. Like Tim, I, I, I put it in Monday musings. Like, if you tell me that Miami Hurricanes want Tommy Reese, I'm like, well, of course they do. And, or Michigan wants Tommy Reese. Yeah, even you know Nick Saban's moving on. He was he wants the next upwardly mobile offensive coordinator. He wants Tommy Reese. I get it. The Rams, man, that's a jump for a guy that has not yet coordinated a potent modern offense. Yeah. Coordinated two pretty good offenses, right? And we like him as a coordinator, but no one's looked at Notre Dame and said, holy cow, look at the future of offense right now. No, there. but 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 people in that position can look they look 
look at more than just, oh, he gained two yards on this play and five yards on that play. They understand what a play is supposed to do, what the personnel is, and they recognize him as a cutting edge play calling, play caller, offensive coordinator. I think some of the best things he does, and we talked about this in our pre-bowl podcast, is how he can attack with success with unique situations on third down. It's it's impressive how they can score and really move the ball on third down. It's not just third and five, let's run four hooks with a cross underneath right. it. You know, it's, I, like, I do like how I think he is really expanding. He's going to continue to expand it too. At least we're back on Tommy Reese. We've got a running backs coach question, right? We're going to talk about Reese for nine months. Every time he because of second and five, right, we're gonna we're gonna throw a couple basketball questions in here because Notre Dame now nine and three in the conference with a uh, with a hard fought win over NC State over the weekend. Notre Dame was up by seventeen in the first half. Nate Lashewski went down with an injury, and NC State eventually took a three point lead, but Notre Dame pulled it out. I contend that the maturity of this team, the defense that they now play. Um, those, that's a game they would have lost in the past. There, there's just, there's no doubt about that. Uh, the best streak they had was two years ago when they went from two and six to six and six in the conference, but they're on the best streak now by far. Uh, and so anyway, a couple questions, one from Elkai or C, are you now believers in this squad as an NCAA tournament team, eight games left five at home and most are under 500 in ACC play. Is this the best team since back-to-back elite eights? We can and start with that one. Okay, Tim go Priester ahead. Been, Tim Priester has been a believer in this team as an NCAA tournament team for the whole year. Maybe not in mid-December when things looked really bleak, but nobody was. No, that's when I, that's when I said – yeah. it was in mid-December when I said Mike Bray was holding the program hostage. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't, think Mike Bray looked, I don't think Mike Bray looked at his team when they left uh, – Indianapolis, Indianapolis and NCAA tournament team. He did not. So, uh, no, but yeah, no. <clears throat> we, I, I think they're an NCAA tournament team. Um, eight games left, five at home. They better go at least five and three. If they go six and two, I would not be surprised. Uh, the ACC stinks out loud. It's okay. You play who you play. Uh, they have a Final Four team in the ACC. I don't know if you guys have been watching, but those freshmen are no longer freshmen at yeah, Duke. Duke. Duke is a, a legit. Team. National title um, contender. Now. I don't think it's better than the <clears throat> Notre Dame team that followed the Elite Eight, Tim, um, <clears throat> with Farrell and uh, Bonzi Coles. They lost in the sweet. They lost in the second round to West Virginia. It was a bad four-five matchup. West Virginia's press killed them because they only had Farrell. They took Farrell away, and TJ Gibbs couldn't handle the ball. Um, if you put this team against that West Virginia team, they wouldn't get the ball past half court. So no, it's not better than that team. Totally agree. I was courtside for that game and they had no chance. And and so yes, I, I agree with you. This is it's not the best team since the back to back Elite Eights. It's the best team since the one after the Elite right. Eights was that was sabotaged by by injuries. Um yeah, I the, the some of these stats, this was part of my uh part of the Sunday column, the eight games left, five at five at home. They should not lose at home. No, they should they not. Should, they got five games left. They, it's just a, bu- a bunch of mediocre average teams, and ACC is not very good. There's just there's just no doubt, and and that's not trying to take anything away. That's just I've been Tim. We've been talking about the decline of the ACC for three or four years now. It's crazy! It's so weird because it was so good in 2015 and 16. Well, Vir- yeah, Virginia's not Virginia. Louisville's not yeah. Louisville, and and right there that and North Carolina's not North Carolina. North Carolina's not North Carolina. So right there, that really diminishes the upper 
echelon, the typical upper echelon in the in the conference. And NC State has three future potential pros who run around like they're playing wild 21 with their friends in the parking lot when they play offense. How is he cannot coach past this year? Are you kidding? He already got he he got a pat on the back from Boo Corgan, oh. the son of yeah, I that's that's really bad. I, I knew Nordane was going to pull it out when uh Sebron, number one for yeah. them, started yeah. hoisting shots like midway through yes. the yeah. second half and it's like okay they're not going to be disciplined enough to overcome a Nordic team without Nate Lashesky. and I hope somebody found Turquavian Smith although that was an amazing dunk on the break after the game because he was getting in everybody's face every time he scored and his four points in the second half should have been uh Dane Goodwin and Cormac Ryan should have had yeah. a little bit of comment by the time that game ended I, I also want to comment I outrage that Outrage that Blake Wesley, he did get in at the end of the game, but basically did not play much over the last 10 minutes. And, and I, and I get it, I, you know, I get that he, everybody's saying first round draft pick now I, that's a mock draft. Clearly athletically, he's a first rounder, but he's not ready for the NBA and he's not ready to just be handed a blank check every game no. when he's, when he turns the ball over or he actually shot it well Saturday he was seven for 13 in the previous four games. He was 10 for 55. Yeah. You sit his ass down when he's not playing well. I don't yeah. care if he is a generational player, he's a freshman. You're on the road. You've got a veteran team and Trey Wirtz came in and played good basketball. The only thing that happened on Saturday was one player substituted for another player for the last eight minutes of the game. Nothing else, nothing has changed with Blake Wesley. No, and I think Blake Wesley, if Notre Dame got tied at the end of that game, would have come in for Cormac Ryan and been one of the guys to try to create the last shot right. for Trey Wirtz or for right. Fred. But they needed they needed stability and consistency, right. and Blake Wesley has not given them stability and consistency in the last five games. He's been he's been a little erratic. I said it to you the other day, Tim. He's kind of sliding back. It's like he's hitting a bit of a freshman wall. That happens, yep. but you don't you don't just continue to when you have a better alternative for eight minutes, which, which rarely will you say that about Trey Wirtz over Blake Wesley, but Saturday it was true. Yeah, and so you take well. him out. I, I, way too much is made of these isolated incidents that like, uh, like he was somebody, well, he, I can tell you, he was none too happy on the bench. So what? I wasn't happy because he wasn't, yeah, he would be, I mean, he had a bad turnover too. I'm sure they didn't want that. That was a, I mean, you're passing it right to NC State. The guy guarding you, hit him in the hands. Right, and he's oh, wow. he's that that plays uh, way better than that. There is a anyway. follow up though, and I think we're going to agree on this one, Tim, pretty easily. From Jamarisco, please rank the likely scenarios. Number one, miss the NCAA tournament. Number two, lose the first game of the NCAA tournament. Three, win one game of the NCAA tournament, and four, Sweet Sixteen. I don't know if we're going to agree completely in the order because a couple of these are really, really close. What? Okay, what's what's more likely missing the NSA tournament or going to the sweet 16. I don't, think, t- I don't think they're going to miss the NCAA tournament though, because I don't, I don't think, I don't so, think they sweet, will I, see. I think the sweet 16, I think, I think lose the first game is the most likely Win one game is the second, most likely Win two games is the third, most likely and miss altogether is the fourth, most likely. I, I, I agree with that. You know, like people talk about sweet 16, it depends upon the matchup. If they, you know, they're going to be a lower seed, probably ship 2,500 miles West. Uh, and if you get, if you're matched up against a big front line, well, yeah, they're going to lose the first game of the tournament, but if they get shipped West, 
they're a 10 seed and they get matched up against a team that doesn't have a big front court and already matches up well at the guard positions, maybe they can get to this to the right. second round. And then maybe that opponent is somebody that upsets somebody that that is better. You know, you just can't, it depends upon the matchup. But I, you know, they're not built. Somebody asked me yesterday, you know, you think this team is built to make any real progress? I, no, I don't because they're not good enough in the paint. Um, you know, for example, Atkinson on Saturday, he played a really good game, but he shriveled up many, many times along the way as well. And it's like, dude, just play. They're not, they're not, they're not, they're not good enough in the, in the paint to advance, but Anthony Solomon's done a really, really nice job defensively because they're formidable. They held a top 20 scoring team in the country to Miami in Miami to 64 and then NC state's capable of exploring. They had 57 points at half. Speaking of not good enough, our next question regards Pat Narduzzi, Tim, from TDISU19. What are your thoughts on Narduzzi making comments about Notre Dame tampering with Kenny Pickett? Does anybody hate Notre Dame more than that guy? Probably Pat Narduzzi, I, you know, I respect Pat Narduzzi as a, as a football coach, as a defensive football coach, but nobody, nobody complains about calls by officials where he is just flat out wrong more than Pat Narduzzi. <laughs> He just that's gets good. Point. where he's completely wrong. That's probably right. Good. I mean, they're showing replays and he's at, you know, he, he wants it. He wants a ruling on a replay, dude. It's it, he's just, he's a good defensive coach. I don't know a whole lot about the, I don't, the Kenny Pickett tampering. I don't, I don't have any details on that. I can promise you it won't matter. That's the best. That's the best I can well, do. On it this won't. Topic. It's not going to be a thing. It won't matter. Pat Narduzzi is, it's, yeah, again, I think is a good defensive football coach, but he is the most unobjective guy in the stadium every Saturday. That's hard to be, too, actually, if you think about it. Okay, he's the most unobjective guy on a sideline. There we go. That's How about good. that? How about that? There's unobjective, more unobjective people in the press box than him. So, <laughs> Yes, that's true. Uh, question from Mac341. Thoughts on the player's seeing Marcus Freeman not only at morning workouts, but actually working out alongside them. Yeah, it's not he's not working out with them, mind you. They they show up, and there's Marcus Freeman. He's already gotten his sweat in. Marcus Freeman is there when he can be, and uh, when he legally can be, too, and when he's not recruiting, which is, I guess, for the rest of this month. I think it's great. I think it's great for a young team. It's a team in transition to see a coach out there like that. I know there's a lot of shots being taken at Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly wouldn't be out there working out. If Brian Kelly just would have been there, it would have been a better thing. That's what you really, I find it strange for as very good of a college coach as Brian Kelly is or coach. I shouldn't coach it. Why you wouldn't just spend more time around your team. When you learn three different times, you should spend more time around your team. He talked about learning that on three different occasions. And then it always seemed to go away. I don't understand. I agree. I mean, I just don't understand it. I would love to, I would love to sit down with them and say, okay, Tell me why. Yeah. Just explain to me why you don't want to be around your team in those 12, settings. 17, and 20. 12, 17, and 20. He talked about it. Pretty good teams, too, I might add. But that's just weird. It's too many I times. Just, I, do, I just, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I, I know it's not the same comparison, but when I, when I was coaching high school baseball, why would you not want to be around your team in those situations where you can – where you can make a, a positive 
yeah. impact and a strong impression on them by being there. Exactly. What do you do? Talked about how big of a deal it was. You think you would just trust one of the best players you've ever coached in your life that, hey, maybe this was a good idea. And he was a two-time fifth-year senior captain. Like, he wants Brian Kelly there. How much do these incoming freshmen want the coach there? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and they want they want to impress. Of course, they want to impress the you coach. Impress him. I impress Here's your opportunity to impress the coach. And as the coach, you want to see who's trying to impress you as well. Right. Yes. As far as Marcus Freeman working out with the team or before the team, he's 36 years old. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't think that that's Brian Kelly working out with the team. Yeah, I mean, we, 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 we see his physical makeup. Of course he trains. I, I mean, I don't think that that's anything out of the ordinary or anything special for a 36 year old Marcus Freeman, former football player who looks like a former football player. Yeah. It's a, it's a bonus that he can be out there in the, in the players. It's great. Him. No, it's yeah, it's great. All right, we're going to wrap up with a question from G. Byrne of the three or four Nordam quarterback targets in the class of 2023. Who's the one you'd most like to see in Nordam uniform next year, and the one you'd think can take Notre Dame football to the next level? Well, there's the same answer for both, right? Well, there's one. Yeah, I mean, Dante Moore. For both questions, there's 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 a pecking order here, I guess, in Dante Moore, and then if you don't get Dante Moore. Then it's Christopher Vizina, and I and I'm not sure they're going to get either one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that Josh Gaddis uh, Gaddis went went to Miami that certainly hurts Michigan's cause. I hope it doesn't suddenly create a situation where Dante Moore wants to go to Miami to follow Gaddis. It certainly. I mean, could. That, it's that certainly could happen. But I think you can win with Christopher Christopher Vizina. Uh, you see his high school film and he's wearing number 17 and you immediately think of Jack Cohn, but it's more than it's more than the Jersey number. I think he's very similar to him in terms of frame, uh, just overall build uh, accuracy with his, with his arm. The huge difference of course, is that Zena's a legitimate running threat or a guy that you can, you can run read option with. He's perfectly capable of that. And Jack Cohn isn't. The intriguing thing here is how the quarterbacks around that bookended Tyler Buckner make this so important, right? I mean, you have your quarterback for the next three years, probably, but yeah, opinions on, yeah, I think opinions on Tyler Buckner are going to change fairly quickly. I don't know that it'll happen in Columbus. I guess it's because (laughs) you have to have, the problem is you have to have your quarterback for the next three years right now. If you don't pull in Dante Moore, right? You have to have this yes. has to be him. Yes. And that's not a situation Notre Dame should be in with the dispersal of talent everywhere else. I, I like Drew Pine a lot. I just think Drew Pine is a perfect backup quarterback to win Notre Dame two games a year when the starter goes down because he runs so hard and so well. And that might and not I, be better Drew Pine, but that's still how I feel. Vizina can can win a national title if Stetson Bennett can win a national title, and Stetson Bennett won a national title because Yeah. <laughs> Because, because they had, had a both good. everywhere. Remember yes. the word both we like to use? They had a bunch of boats. They, yeah. they have 21 boats and Stetson Bennett. Yeah, Drew Pine can Drew Pine can win a national title with 21 boats all around him. <laughs> he can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. I, I mean, we didn't – we don't have memory. What we have is Stetson Bennett winning a national title. We don't have that in our right. in our memory bank with, with Drew Pine. But uh, you can win with Vizina. Uh, 
I, you, I think Notre Dame can win a national title with Vizina, but everybody around them needs to be really, really good. But, you know, that's the case of, I mean, even, even with a great quarterback, if you, if you have deficiencies on the defensive side of the football, that quarterback may just, he may score 48 and it may not be enough. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, Notre Dame should have the defense in place for, uh, for Tyler Buckner to score enough points. That is very true. And although, um, you know, there's going to be some youth sprinkled here and there on both sides of the football for Notre Dame. Uh, there have been a lot of times when I haven't brought this much talent back from the previous right. year. Well, that's it for today's Irish Illustrated Insider. We hope to have Pete Sampson joining us on Monday, February 14th. Got a couple of basketball games to uh, see if Notre Dame can, t- can continue their winning ways. Tim? Who's rooting for in the Super Bowl? You're wait, you're Who waiting. am I rooting for? I don't, I don't, I generally don't root. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a follower of the Chicago Bears. Um, who do I think is, I, who do I think is the best team? I think it's the Rams. Who do I think is going to win? I think it's the Bengals. Nice. There you go. Mainly because, mainly because of the quarterback. Now the Rams defensive front can expose the Bengals offensive line. And so, yes. I mean, maybe I should actually take my pick back before I uh, throw out that caveat. But I think it's uh, <laughs> there's a lot of magic with that young quarterback at, at, with the Bengals, so it's difficult to pick against them. I think it has the makings of a really competitive quality game. Who do you think is going to win, 49ers? Yes, I do. And I think I'm, I'm rooting for the Bengals for obvious reasons. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, think the, I do think the Rams will. I think the, I think the will, Yeah, I do think the Rams are the better team. I do too. Because of the defensive line and it's hard to it's hard to stop Cooper Cup for four quarters these days. And they have a pretty good quarterback too, in Matthew Stafford. While we talk, while we talk about yeah. Joe Burrow. Yeah. I guess what I should say is I'll take the four points. Is good it idea. four? Yeah. Yep. That's what I would say, but I do think the Rams are the better football team. All right. Hey, everybody, we appreciate you joining us here today. We'll be back next week for Irish Illustrated Insider on Monday, February 14th.